Hello and welcome back to the LFCS Talks podcast. This week it is the week of February 27th through March 3rd and we have a few things going on. On Tuesday there is a 7th grade Birch Aquarium field trip happening. On Wednesday there is a DC pizza fundraiser happening for those that are going to DC. And this week we have a regular half day Friday. We had a hugely successful jogathon where we raised more money by a ton than I think we've ever raised before. So thank you so much. We cannot thank you parents and family members and everyone that promoted that fundraiser. The money that we raised there will go to good use and we will make sure it is used to better the educational program here at Literacy First and um, help our kids just be able to be at more field trips and all kinds of great stuff. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Without further ado, let's get to our continuation of the podcast that we started last week with Debbie Byer. So this is part two of our interview with Debbie Byer, our executive director. I'm going to back up a little bit. You said your dad mm-hmm. prodded you to start the school. Yeah. He was on the State Board of Education. The cool thing about my dad is um, he didn't know anything about education, but I did. And so when he started talking about, he, he was very interested in politics, as was I. And when he started talking about running for something, I said, you need to run for the State Board of Education, Dad. That is where you make the difference because that's what's funneling down to what we we do with kids. And so he was like the most amazing student. I mean, and he's in New Mexico. I'm in California. We spent hours on the phone talking about outcome-based education, talking about um, intelligent design, talking about science curriculums, talking about revisionist history, talking about phonics versus whole language. I mean, we talked about everything. My dad knew everything there was to know about education. And he got elected, which was a miracle because he was um, in the state of New Mexico. Um, His party is a minority party. And so for him to have won (laughs) was pretty much a miracle. Um, But in the time that he was there, they made huge difference in the education in in New Mexico because he most, you know, lots of times board members don't know a lot about education, but he was able to go to campuses and go to schools and visit principals and ask them direct questions about what are you doing about XYZ and have intelligent data to be able to present to them. So, um, so when he heard about charter schools and said, Debbie, this is you all over, he and I had been having a dialogue for many years about education. So he knew how I thought about education and he knew, um, the, you know, this, the path that I had been on, uh, as far as how disillusioned I was with what I had seen both in, in public, regular public schools and in private education. And so to him, he, he knew that charters were going to be where the Mavericks were going to go. And, and I was a maverick at that point after homeschooling and running, you know, homeschooling my own children and then having a homeschooling program. Um, you know, if you've been in a public school and a private school and a homeschooling situation, the only those next are the kind of charter, options. Right? Charter was the other thing. <laughs> the so that go. seemed like a normal place to go. Kind of was the, a great medium um, right. to where those that could not afford to homeschool or pay for a private school could still have an option. Right. So what, what was, you, you've kind of, you've gone over this in, in a lot of detail, but to put a point on it, what was the problem here in East County, San Diego, that Literacy First was put here to solve? What was the issue? What were the issues that, that you put this school here to fix? 
Well, in East County, but I think in general, the intent of charters was this idea of choice. Can parents not have a choice? Can they not choose what works best for their kid? Can we look at regular public schools and look at their data, and not just in East County, but look in New York, in, in, in California, anywhere in California, in Illinois, in any big city, and see the stats on how much we are failing our children, how badly we are failing our children, and then wonder what the correlation is between kids' failure in education and the criminal justice system and the number of kids that are dropping out, the number of kids with ADD that are in juvenile court, all the data looking at, we are failing kids on so many fronts. Can we not find a place that would pay attention enough to say, we're going to pay attention to this group of children and give their parents choice. We're going to provide them an education. And if kids aren't learning, we're going to figure out why and figure out a way to fix that. Kids don't learn not just because they're obnoxious. Kids don't learn because we're not teaching them in the way that they need to learn. Can we look at curriculum? Can we look at um, ways that are different? Can we look at seating arrangements? Can we look at light? Can we look at temperature? Can we look at any number of factors that you look that impact the way children learn and do something with it? We have got decades of data that tell us how kids learn. But you know what? In general, public schools don't address those things, or at least it didn't back in 2001. I think maybe we're getting better at data, but there's a lot of research that says a whole lot of things about the way kids respond to an amplified voice. For that reason, we went and I went to this workshop and they had all these cool amplified voice things that teachers wore because it was clear research said that kids responded to an amplified voice. When you say amplified, you mean microphone. Microphone, You have a speaker yeah. in the back of the classroom, right. and our teachers carry around a little Bluetooth uh, microphone that hangs around their neck, right. and their voice is amplified. Right. And to this day, they're called um, Red Cats, is what the, system, right. the software or the programs are called, and they're these little RF, you know, infrared microphone deals right. that are almost all of our teachers um, up to about... The K-8. Eighth, yeah, t- K-8. Mm-hmm. They have these systems. Right. They use them. They right. use them today. Right. And it's, you know, it, it saves a teacher's voice, but it also allows a teacher to have um, an animated voice without having to yell or scream or holler. Um, it helps children that maybe have a hard time hearing be, or the kids are just sitting in the back. It allows kids to be able to be seen. The other thing, other part of that is we make sure when we look at brain compatible classrooms, we make classrooms that are brain compatible. That means they see, they look differently, they smell differently. Smell and appearance are very important. When kids get there, they need it needs to look like we were excited for them to be there. Biggest part of kids wanting to be in school is the fact that it looks like a place where you want to spend time. They're spending more of their day with us than they are with their families. Can we not create environments that say, look, I planned all summer for you to be here. My classroom is set up for you to be here. It smells good. It looks good. It's visually appealing. The things that I do in my classroom are here to meet your needs. That was the intent of a brain-compatible classroom. So what you're saying is that there's not a piece of the experience that a kid or a student or a, even a parent who walks into our doors, there's not a piece of that that wasn't thought through. Not a piece of it down to the carpet. I mean the carpet. And if you go to a literacy first in this office, this is an office, my office, the carpet in my office is this literacy first carpet. 
right. that kind of we joke around about a little bit, looking like a casino carpet, but it's engaging. It's f- kind of fun. It's got all the colors and it's the same across all the campuses and it doesn't look dirty. It looks clean. Um, anyway, continue right. about the carpet. There's a long story behind the carpet. The carpet is <laughs> intentional and people kind of like, what? Because it's not your regular school green or blue or brown or gray carpet. It's, it's colorful. Um, it's got a green baseboard that goes with it. It was intentional. Green is a is a is a growth color. Green is a an affirming color. There was intention to that color. The carpet they at this point they mill this carpet just for us because they quit making it just regular carpet. But when we need to replace it, they mill it just for us. I mean, I traveled the county over to try to find a carpet that I wanted in my school, and this was the one I landed on. So I don't know. If you who are listening have been into the schools, and I'm, I'm guessing most of you have, but if you have not been into Literacy First School and spent time and walked around and paid attention to the pictures on the wall, the paintings on the wall, the carpet, the doors, the floorboards, the everything, the signage, the um, encouragement, the bulletin boards, walked into a classroom and seen how the classrooms are set up specifically for a grade level that are developmentally appropriate. Um, the creative seating, the positioning of the front t- of the front board, the positioning of the students in the classroom, the positioning of where the teacher can be, the multiple places that the teacher is during a school day. The teacher does, teachers don't just sit from one place or teach in one place all day. If you've never come in and observed that, we invite you and beg you to come in. Um, I'm going to say it again, and I will say it at the beginning of every podcast and throughout the podcast as much as we can. We love parents in classrooms. There is no argument um, to the statistics. And Debbie said earlier that there wasn't a lot of statistics back when she was looking at the, the direct correlation between parents' involvement and their student success. There is studies now. I am also a school psychologist and a behavior specialist. I found those studies. There's a great deal of studies that correlate directly between parent involvement in a kid's life and their kid's success. And we beg to have parents at our school. We love the accountability. We love your presence. You only enhance our ability to teach your students. And um, yeah, so you haven't seen all these things. I recommend and invite you to come in and take a look because it's quite impressive. And Debbie has spent an immense amount of time making sure that this place is prepared not only for your kids, but for you and your family. Next question. You know, what are the core values that you instilled in Literacy First at the beginning that still live on today? Um, I think that we've kind of, kind of touched on a lot of them, but the deal was, could we not create a place where teachers were eager to be at school and not willing just to show up for a job? Were they willing to put the hard work into making everyday magic? Where parents would be our partners and where kids would be completely engaged to be there? All of those things require great effort on everyone's part. And you break it down into a mission statement. You know, this is a place where we are going to nurture kids. We're going to nurture the whole kid from kindergarten through high school graduation. It doesn't stop just with the little guys. I mean, it it is all the way through our high school kids. I mean, we spend as much time nurturing our big kids as we do our little kids, every one of them. And then we're igniting them with a passion for learning and a passion for literacy. I mean, that is the thing that's going to carry them on when they own their own learning. When they, yesterday we went through with our high school kids, I own my own learning and help them walk through looking at a transcript. If a high school student can look at their transcript and realize, 
I am not going to get where I want to get if I keep up this. Then they recognize I'm owning my own education. But we start that in kindergarten with our parent, our student-led parent conferences. These little guys look at their make goals and then they look at them when they sit with their parents and they say, you know, mama, I'm not being so responsible. You know, I, I've not been so kind. And we find parents going, oh, but yes, you're very kind. No, no, I was not kind. I did not open the door for her. They know what they're supposed to be doing and they hold themselves accountable. So um, it is that idea of developing character, developing kids that are eager to learn and are curious. And then the other side of that is then equipping them to go out into the world and be different kind of people. That when they're with us, when they leave us, they are better than they would have been if they had not been at literacy first. And, and we have anecdotal evidence that's kind of telling us that. We have kids that have graduated from literacy first all over the world at this point. I run into them often. Um, I was at um, a local restaurant and I, I saw this kid and he was a big man looking kid, you know, and I thought I recognized him. And I said, I looked at him and I said, you look very familiar. And he said, I'm a literacy first kid. And then he said, there's a lot of us out here, Aww. which it was just, I mean, there's a lot of kids from every elementary school, but the fact that he said it like that, there's a lot of us out here. It's like, they're this set apart group of kids that have graduated from literacy first. And he graduated before we had a high school. So he, and he had a big brother that was before him. I thought he was his big brother. He was the little guy, you know? So um, I said, don't you have a bunch of kids? He said, no, 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 that's my big brother, you know? Um, so, but... Our kids identify themselves as, you know, I'm a literacy first kid. At the high school yesterday, um, they put out an announcement that said, okay, all you legacy kids, we need you to show up at this time because we're taking pictures. Legacy kids are the kids that have been with us since kindergarten. And they're at the high school now as seniors. And so those kids have got a, they're called the legacy kids. And they are proud of that. I mean, I'm a legacy kid. I've been here at literacy first since I was in kindergarten. Um, that's making a different kind of kid. I mean, the longer you're at Literacy First, if you come to us in sixth grade, if you come to us in eighth grade, you're going to be better off than if you never come. But if you come to us in high school, you're going to be better off with us than if you didn't come to our high school. So what we, what we know from our data is that the longer you're with us, the better you do. And we know that when we look at our high school kids, if you start it with us in high school and you stay with us, or if you come, with, come to us as a junior... You're going to be better if you start with this in high school in, as a freshman than if you start with this as junior. The longer you're with literacy first, the better you're going to be. <laughs> so it sounds like what you're saying is that you built a school that prepares our students for the road ahead, as opposed to trying to prepare the road for the student as the student is chasing a road. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, have a, we have a saying called failure leads to success. Exactly. Can you expand on the idea of what it looks like to prepare our students for the road? Is the road going to be easy that they're going to end no, up on? and that's the thing is, is a lot of times kids think that, you know, if it's hard, I'm a failure. I should, I'm, I'm not good. And what we try to help our kids understand is failure is the only way you get better. You need to fail often and fail hard because that's the only way we, any of us get any better. When we fail, we go, okay, well, that's a way it didn't work. I'm going to try a different way. And so we want our kids to get used to failing because they know that if they just keep trying, they're going to get better. They're going to, they're going to succeed. So, and if you talk to any professional athlete, if you talk to any professional, anything, any, anybody that's made it great, in the entrepreneur, tech, any entrepreneur, business owner, yeah. CEO, right. top level, all of them yes. will have a story 
of how, you know, they spent their last time and they were broke or they got kicked off the team or they you know, broke their leg or whatever the thing is. Failure is often that impetus that leads to somebody's huge success. And so we want our kids to know that when you fail, that is just the beginning. That is not the end. It is your only, the failure is only the failure when you quit. If you don't quit, you win. You just keep going. And so we kind of try to put that in our kids' head from the time they're little all the way through high school is recognizing it that you're never done. You know, you just keep going and you're only going to get better. Can you, this is kind of the last question, but we just moved our high school up to a new location. Can you give us a little story of that transition up to the new location and a, a little bio of the new high school up where it's at now? Tell us where it's at and all kind of good stuff. Yeah, we have, we've got our high school in Alpine and it's a, in a great location with a, it's a, it's a great space for us to be in. It wasn't where we originally thought the high school would be. Um, the high school has kind of been the gypsy in this organization. Um, when we first started it, there was just a few students and it was here at the junior academy. Um, we outgrew being at the junior academy and we moved over to another location where we could fit about 250 kids and we outgrew that. Um, a school in Lemon Grove became available that was an excess school and they, it was empty, and so we were able to get into that. Um, and we knew we needed to find a permanent location, and so we bought, purchased a piece of land uh, with the dream of building a high school. And we have built this high school 10 times in my head. I have picked colors three different times. We have graded <laughs> land. We have bought, for, I mean, you know, picked out furniture, all the things, um, more times than I want to count. Um, and that high school is just not going to get built at this point. I mean, at this point, um, we got all the approvals we needed to get through the county, through the County Board of Education, through the County Board of Supervisors, but a particular neighborhood group just would not let it go. Like a dog on a bone, um, they have just riddled us with ridiculous lawsuits um, that prevented us, and I think they probably knew that, and and that's a whole other story, but um, they were intentional about not allow, not letting us be able to build. And at this point... We need to get on with it. We have a high school to build, and we are not going to let that stop us. Um, we were able to partner with Alpine Unified. They, are, they had buildings that were not being used, and so um, they were eager to partner with us because Alpine has been wanting a high school for decades. Um, and so we've been able to fill that niche. And so we, we did um, uh, over a million dollars worth of tenant improvements to a, uh, an elementary school that had been used for little kids. And from March to August, we did miracles in that place. Repainted, recarpeted, re knocked down, landscaped, all the things. It doesn't look like the same place. Um, I think the little smart kids, tech kids, and everything, single classroom, yeah. i.e. those you know, t new touch smart yeah. boards. I mean, yeah. beautiful, yeah. beautiful campus, it's, beautiful classrooms. Yeah. It's great. And, the challenge was it's an Alpine. So for many of our families, you might as well be in China. I mean, Alpine is really not that far away, but if you've never been there, it's daunting to think you have to go to school there every day. So <laughs> um, we've done a lot of marketing to help our parents know that it's really not that far. Um, we've got a bus that picks up some kids because we didn't want to lose all of our kids from Lemon Grove or the ones that couldn't come. Um, our parents carpooled. We've got public transportation that's not really being utilized like it could be, but we've got our kids in Alpine now, and it's a great, our teachers are excited to be up there. Our kids are loving it up there. It's opened up a whole new partnership with Alpine Unified. Um, they've got stellar sports um, athletic 
um, facilities that we're being able to partner with them and use. Um, it's opened up a whole new world for our high school um, in a way that we would not have been able to open it up, even if we built a building, actually. Um, and so, you know, again, your steps are ordered. I think this was where we were supposed to be all along. It just took us a long roundabout way to get there. Um, we're looking at being in Alpine for a really long time. But wait, wait, wait. I'm an Alpine resident, and I've heard the rumors that were started by a, a certain fun person up there that we're only going to be there for two years and we're just this little charter school and we're not Alpine people. Um, is that true? Or are we just going to be out of there? No, that's not true. <laughs> we're, we're in Alpine. We have no intention of going anywhere else. That's where we are. Um, you know, will we always be in that same building? I mean, the story continues. We don't know that, but we're not planning on moving from Alpine. I mean, hopefully we stay in that building for as long as we can. We invested a large amount of resources to make that place absolutely no, we have beautiful. No, we have no intention of leaving there, but I'm just saying the story continues. I cannot tell you we would be in Alpine three years ago. So who could say what <laughs> the future holds? But we are here holds? and we are invested in the community. Yes. And I can tell you of the admin one of the administrators lives right in Alpine, about three minutes away from the high school. And another one of the administrators lives up the hill, about 10 minutes further past Alpine, up the hill towards Descanso. And there are others, the including myself. The athletic director lives in Pine Valley. In Pine Valley. I mean, we are invested we, in the wet, the eastern side of East... East County. We, yeah. we are actually Alpine people, the people who are at that school. I work there often. It's one of my offices is at that campus. I live about five minutes away from the campus. So a counselor our, lives up there. One of our teachers walk, rides his bike to work. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, our, our staff is Alpine. That's where we are. That's where we want to be. Our staff lives there. There are community members there. We're not looking to go anywhere. And I'd say that, you know, we're just as Alpine as any other school in town. So, yeah. And our kids are loving being there. The athletic piece is huge. Um, it's a great place for us to yeah, be. Yeah, The view from that campus is great. I love working yeah. there just cause I can talk on the phone and do my work while I walk the, walk the field and look off the view. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a great place. Yeah. So, um, one final kind of open ended question, maybe two, what do you want everyone to know about Debbie Beyer? Um, at kind of at the end of this podcast, what would you like to leave them knowing about Debbie Beyer? And then what would you let make want to make sure that everyone knows about Literacy First that's listening to this podcast? Wow, those are some big questions. Yeah, <clears throat> let's start with you. Actually, well, how about, let's stop that. Let's start with Literacy First. What do you want to make sure that everyone that listens to this podcast understands about Literacy First? Literacy First is an organization that has been built on the backs of people with a passion. Every part of our team, every part of our administrative team, those people that have been at Literacy First have completely invested their adult careers in this organization. None of us, none of those bought, that have bought into this organization take that lightly. Everybody carries it with um, a great level of uh, personal mission that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And it's all for the purpose of investing in the lives of boys and girls that live here and, and working with their moms and dads. Our goal is, like I said, to nurture kids, to ignite them to love school and, and be ignited to be people that go out into the world and make a difference. And that's what Literacy First is. It's not just your average bear. We want our kids to go out of there being world changers. In this world where we need leaders that are making a difference that have good sense, this is what we want Literacy First kids to be. Those kids that have good sense that go out into the world and can stand up and say, I can do that. I'm a leader. We do hard things. 
and I know I can make that happen. What do you want anybody to know or everyone to know about you? This dream started as this little bitty idea and I had no idea where it would go. But this idea of your steps being ordered is I, I walked the road, um, just one step in front of another with no big grand plan other than just to do what I felt like I was called to do. Right now, I have a whole team of people that are with me. So it is not just Debbie Byer. There is this huge team of people that are carrying this literacy first thing. And um, it is a work of love and passion um, that has caused East County, the people in East County, these are my people. This is where I live. Um, These are the people that I'm committed to. And um, I'm doing it because we're making a difference for the kids in East County and in the world at large, I think. I can tell you that this woman right here sitting across from me is the real deal. There's not a word that comes out of her mouth that she's not serious about and that she is not willing to take straight to the end of the line. She will stand for what she believes in no matter what. And that includes your kids. So I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and I hope you enjoyed, um, enjoy your time with your kids at literacy first. If your kids are not at literacy first and you're getting to listen to this, then, um, hopefully someday they do get to get here. We have a lottery. We got about 800 kids on that waiting list every year and we take every single one of them that we can fit. And, um, we're here to serve our, our community. We're here to serve our students and, um, we thank you so much, Debbie, for coming out to talk to us and tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. We have another two-part series coming up um, in the coming months that'll be Debbie Byer explaining what is a charter, because there's a lot to that question, and uh, we'll dig into that later. So thank you very much, Debbie. Thank you for coming out. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to the Literacy First podcast. This is Literacy First, out. <laughs> <laughs>